Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Back Bar, hosted by me, Christopher Menning. And uh, what a week. What a crazy week it's been. We've had some uh, ups, we've had some downs. Uh, I want to start off with some amazing news. Of uh, Firstly, Biden has won the 2020 election for America. Democracy is restored. And I think the four years of terror and madness is, uh, has finally come to an end. So I'm very happy about that. And to all my American friends, uh, congratulations. We had the award ceremony of the 50 best bars, and what a surprise, some absolutely incredible bars have been listed uh, from all around the world. It's great to see such exposure now in Asia and South America, and obviously a big congratulations to the Connell coming number one. Uh, well deserved, and it's definitely one of my favorite bars to always visit. Um, yeah, so on to, on to me and the show. Well, it's been pretty good recently, and although the show has been going on a fortnightly basis, I'm actually going to be bringing it back to weekly, because I have a lot more content, a lot more time now as well. So today's show, we have uh, the wonderful Dean Callum. Dean is uh, he's an industry uh, he's a, he's an industry veteran, I would say. He's been around for a while, uh, not just in England, but also in Asia, where he was brand ambassador for many places, including Picardy and uh, his most notable work as a global ambassador for Monkey Shoulder. So, uh, yeah, he's a really cool guy. He has a lot of knowledge. This episode was quite cool, actually. There's a lot of uh, a lot of gold nuggets to take away. Usually I take, like, one quote from each person, and they use that to promote. This was really hard to Dean because he had so many amazing quotes that I wanted to use. <laughs> he was also here today to talk about his show, which is the Dean Callan Show. Uh, I urge you to go have a look because he's had some awesome guests on the show, um, from Eric Lorenz, who is making uh, Ramos Gym Fizz, um, to some amazing show videos about uh, making a ginger syrup in cinematic form. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. I urge you to check it out and you can find it in the show notes. Um, on top of that, we have some pretty cool guests coming up. Oh, we have uh, Maxim Schultz, who is the ex-head bartender from the Savoy Hotel, uh, who's got a new project and he'll be talking to us about that too. And uh, some other interesting people popping up. So please subscribe, guys. Keep staying with me. And uh, what I'd also like to say is what you can do if you love the show, if you love what I do, and you want to see a bit more of the guests coming on and maybe more of a production side, then please support me. You can actually support me via Patreon, which is sort of uh, an online community platform where you can find in the show notes, you can join for a monthly fee, and uh, it's it just like whatever contribution you like, really. And you'll get some exclusive content, exclusive emails and cocktail recipes and insider information, which is quite cool. Or you can even just find me in the show notes for the PayPal, uh, send me a couple of quid, which will help to basically what I'm going to do is buy a new microphone and hopefully work towards getting a studio, which I'd love to do. And another f- point of this, why I'm asking is because I have a new project, which I'm really working on to coincide with on the back bar. I'm actually going to publish a book. Uh, it's going to be a book about all my previous episodes, all the people I've interviewed, and each chapter will be one person and taking the very best information from them. Uh, alongside that will be their cocktail recipe that they showed me. And I think it's going to be such a cool book to have. It's like an insider knowledge, like a, a sort of Bible of all these amazing industry leaders and their, their most amazing thoughts and information. So for any new bartenders or even veteran bartenders, they're going to love this sort of book. So. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm working towards. I'd love your help to support me on that. Once again, you can go to Patreon or you can just go to PayPal and help me out with a couple of quid. You know, On The Bat Bar podcast is a completely 
self-funded passion project. And not only do I rely on myself to keep this going, um, I also rely on my fans and uh, the support of the community to make this uh, something special. So once again, thank you to everyone who's contributed so far. And uh, I can't wait to produce more amazing content for you. Okay, thank you guys. Uh, Please subscribe, please like. Enjoy the show as much as I did. Uh, Dean's a really cool guy. And yeah, go check out his show, uh, which you can find on Facebook. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Ciao, ciao, and talk to you all next week. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. Hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Bat Bar, and today we have Dean Callan joining us from his home in London. Dean, how are you doing? You all right? I'm very well, thanks. Good, man. That's a very impressive bat bar you've got. I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's been, I've been collecting it for a good few years now, and it's starting, yeah. to, it's starting to take over, I think. Um, I think the, the, the lack of having friends around during um, these unprecedented times have caused for the bat bar to grow. As I'm buying new things to taste, it's not, um, they're not getting consumed by myself and my friends. So right. just building. Um, but well, you know, Dean, when it, when, once it all ends, we'll have a great party, I guess. Good. Well, thanks once again for joining the show. And I think a lot of the audience will know you from uh, the Dean Cannon Show, uh, which is amazing on Facebook. I watch it often as well. Uh, do you mind going into a bit more detail about who you are and your background and sort of how you came into uh, making the show yourself? Yeah, so um, I... Uh, I, well, I guess I'm an, a consultant now, um, but I started out bartending. I've wanted to be a bartender since I was like 14 years old. This is my earliest memory of wanting to be a bartender. Um, I found myself as I was bartending th- throughout my career, constantly kind of being drawn towards the training element of what I was doing. And um, I'm deeply passionate about spirits, as you, as you can see from my back bar. Um, I collect lots of different spirits and I was always really interested in the the details of production and how things were made and that led me constantly back to brand ambassadorship so a few years into bartending I became a brand ambassador for Diageo's reserve brands as well as well basically for Diageo part-time and I was um, working as a beverage and training director in a company that had a few different bars so I was doing the training internally but I was also couple of days a week going out and doing Diageo trainings for their reserve portfolio. And then I, that was in Australia. Then I moved to China and I started consulting for a company. I started bartending for a company. Then I started consulting for that company, training all their staff. And then 
I started working for Bacardi. Um, they offered me, they offered me a, a position I couldn't really refuse on. I got the opportunity to travel all around China and then eventually greater China and Asia Pacific on behalf of Bacardi. And again, we were training people, you know, going into accounts and training them Western style bartending, um, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, I moved to London and I started bartending in a place and then um, I became a brand ambassador for Monkey Shoulder uh, on a global level. And for about seven years, I was traveling around the world doing Monkey Shoulder work. And since leaving Monkey Shoulder, I, um, I, I want to open my own bar. Um, and I can't, I, I kind of figure how am I going to create a training program for that bar? So my plan was always to set up um, this, like set up my home bar with uh, a series of cameras and decide on how I wanted my Manhattan made, decide on how I wanted my lime wedges cut, every tiny little detail, because I figure if I, if I can build a, a, a one minute video saying, this is how we want our lime wedges cut, uh, stored and you know, put away. And then this is how, when, we, when you take the lime wedge out, we expect you to use kitchen tongs, grab this way, do that. It's, it's all on video, it's all, it's all very neatly cataloged. And rather than that kind of, for want of a better description, Chinese whispers of, I train the first team, the head bartender on that team trains the next crew that come through, and then that head bartender leaves, and one of the junior bartenders that worked their way up is now the head bartender. Eventually, those tiny details are left behind by one of those staff members, so I figured, I'd create a, pro, a TV show in my home bar that teaches all the s small insignificant bits. And it's just, it's turned into a live stream because I'm lazy editing. <laughs> and, and now oh, I actually, okay. over COVID, it switched from being small one or two minute videos teaching you little intricate details and a new kit that had come out to an actual live stream, just trying to keep people positive and yeah. have a bit of fun. Well, I mean, it's definitely fun. You've had some really great uh, guests come on the show, right? I mean, Eric was on the show recently about the, was it the yeah. Ramos Jim Fizz you made? That's yeah, Eric, Eric and the Ramos Jim Fizz was one of the best episodes yeah. ever. I, I, like, I, I, was, I got Eric Lorenz to come to my home and make me Ramos Jim Fizzes in my home. It was pretty epic. <laughs> That's great, huh? <laughs> yeah, worked out really well. How, I mean, uh, can you tell my audience like a few of the, your favorite episodes, what they should go for first? Oh, what they should go for. Well, um, the one I've just done was really good. It was a real eye-opener. Like last night we tasted um, Rankan Can and Orange Colombo and a couple of other products that I really, I didn't, I hadn't heard much about. They're not things that are kind of ra raved about in the bar industry. Um, and that, so that was really interesting. I went through those. I had a really nice episode where um, I got Boris on from... Um, Gonzalez Bias, and we went through all the different types of sherries and broke those down. Um, but my favorite episodes of the old school on the YouTube channel where it's like tips and techniques. One of my favorite was um, uh, we made ginger syrup. It's not okay. a complicated thing, but we decided to kind of play around and, and be all cinematic with our footage of, of making the ginger syrup. That was loads of fun. Um, right. <laughs> And, and, and then, there, you know, there's, there's a range of different things. I, I think my plan in the near future is to start, um, I've, I've written down 50 cocktails that I'm going to 
make recipe sheets for. And then it, uh -huh. I'm going to go back to simple basics of this is how to make a Manhattan and, and just reminding everyday consumers, you know, this is what the classic recipe for a Manhattan is um, uh -huh. aiming at, at, at home, stay at home people. And I'm going to keep growing that. But um, if you, if you want to see something on there and that you think will be interesting, comment on one of the um, YouTube videos and I'll try to make it happen. Um, because we're open to suggestions, really. Brilliant. And I think you've got quite a good following right now. Um, there's a lot of people on your Facebook page. And uh, I mean, I think this year particularly, video content has become so huge. And uh, yeah. it's great to see people like you sort of doing these really interesting classes, but having fun behind it too. And, yeah. uh, you know, I know you want to do some cocktails. And I know you've got a few other guests coming on the show. Uh, one on the 19th, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so on the 19th um, will be the first time I've kind of, I've gotten some really big um, guests on the show in the past, but this is the first time I kind of felt like I were, I'm, I'm biting off more than I can chew. I got Dale DeGroff <laughs> coming on the show. Um, okay. And um, if you haven't seen, if, if for anyone that hasn't seen the show, it, there's a multiple different camera angles and I'm trying to live stream, but I, I tend to be on my own. There's not like a, an audio person and, a, a, you know, director of photography. Um, but this, uh, on the 19th, I'm actually going to bring someone in to purely monitor the audio. And I've got right. someone else coming in to make sure that, you know, um, the cameras don't go out of focus or the, just to make sure nothing goes wrong on that one day. Because um, yeah. I'm okay. super excited about it. Dale, Dale's someone that has... Um, influenced my career since the, I guess the very beginning of me getting into cocktails. It was one of the books where, um, the craft of the cocktail was one of the books where I could make just about any recipe in there and mm -hmm. people would, would accept it. You know, that if they, if he has spec for an old fashioned or spec for, um, cosmopolitan, for example, um, it, it works, you know, it might mm -hmm. not be exactly, to, to the taste of the particular vial you're working in. But if you don't know a recipe already and there's not a, a, a recipe sheet for it that's specific to your bar and tailored to your guests, use Dale's recipes. They work. So yeah, that, for sure. that, that was something I've always... And, and there's loads of... There were, in the old book, there was loads of uh, suggestions for in the back for where to, to find further reading, if that makes sense. Um, so it was kind of a complete that back in the day that and um, the joy of mixology were my two complete books. You know, if you had both of those, you're yeah. covering two kind of solid ground. hundred percent. So yeah. what have you got planned with him? Are you just going to have a, a good old chinwag over a drink or are you going to do something fun? <laughs> it's really interesting because um, I called him and, uh, and I called him at home and he answered the phone and he was super sweet. And we had like a 45 minute conversation. <laughs> we'd locked the right. date down quite early. And then we, we started chatting about, you know, what, where, which, which direction the bar industry is heading, um, where it's been. It's really interesting because Dale, you know, he's now in his seventies. He was saying that um, he's got a longer view of the hospitality industry, you know? So there's, there's people I'm talking to now that, you know, in my consultation that are like, Oh, we don't have, we, we can't, let's not worry about building anything in the on trade right now because everything's been closed down. Uh -huh. when, when you look at, when you make a plan for something, you should make a five year plan. You know, where am I going to be 
in five years. Not now. True. Because if you're only planning the next six months ahead, um, you, but you start doing something and as soon as you get a tiny bit of a delay, you know, it's yeah, six months 100%. before you get your six month thing done and, and every, every couple of months you'll be replanning. So I, one thing I learned from working with brands is you, you plan to where, where you want to be in five years. And at the end of each year, you review it and you say, well, we wanted to be at 100,000 cases in five years, but to get there, we needed to be at 20,000 cases in the first year. And we're only at yeah. 15. So is that 100,000 a realistic prospect? And are we doing the right thing? So for me, like five-year plan is to have a, a bar slash studio. Um, so yeah, um, as long as I keep moving towards that. And Dale's attitude was he's got that long view and he thinks that the, the bar industry is in good hands and um, will come out of, of everything on the other side in, a good, sh in good shape, I guess. So oh, good. if Dale's got, um, if Dale's got a positive um, outlook on everything, despite the, the darkness that we're all kind of pushing ourselves through right now, then I kind of <laughs> want to explore that, <laughs> um, yeah, which 100%. I think will be great because positivity is key, but ultimately I'm going to, I'm going to read through the craft of the cocktail because it was such an important part of my um, career and, and coming up through the, um, the cocktail kind of knowledge area and uh, and look at what he's done to modernize his book you know what is the new craft of the cocktail compared to one of the older first editions and ask him questions based around that you know try to kind of i'd like i'd like to get him back on the show at a later date so if there's a way that i can make it give him a return on investment he invests his time to come on the show and i plug his book as much as possible i'm actually going to try to plan to buy um, out of my own pocket, a, a couple of books. I didn't want to say this to him. And, and right. unless he watches this and he catches me out, I didn't want to. I didn't want to say it to him right away. But I, but I was going to buy a couple of people books that were on that were commenting. If that makes sense, mm. and then yeah. just be like, "Thanks for the comment. I'm going to send you a book." You know, do the Oprah, and you get a book, and you get a book, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and send a couple of books out. It's actually it's much easier to just wait. Um, see so see who commented the most or see who's got the the best interaction and then or you know just pick a, a name from a hat um, of people mm -hmm. that commented and, and got involved on the show and then ask them would they like a book and where do they live because then I can just buy it on Amazon and have it posted to them it's much safer yep. for COVID and easier for me than posting it to me and then sending it on to them that makes sense nice. makes sense yeah books so are easy you touched on um, sort of some things you learned when you were a brand ambassador and obviously you, you were doing it a long time. You had some really top yeah. positions around the world. Um, and it's always something that I think a lot of bartenders aspire to. It's sort of like you become a bartender and after a while it's going up to your brand ambassador. Um, you know, what, what other advice would you have uh, to get to that role? Or maybe also um, what were some key takeaways that you had from, well, from being in that position? Absolutely. The first thing, the first thing I'll say is, um, you don't move up to being a brand ambassador. A brand ambassador mm. is a support role. So, and you're not working in the bar industry anymore. You are in marketing. So a lot of people struggle coming from the bar world. And when I say the bar world, it's the bar world into the marketing world because mm -hmm. they think that the job of brand ambassador is going to be one of, you know, 
going out and taking people out and, and developing really cool drinks and, um, you know, pushing the envelope and the bits that look really sexy that you see people, the, you know, winners of brand ambassador year tells of the cocktail. You're only seeing the cool stuff they're doing, but you mm -hmm. cannot get to doing the cool stuff. If you don't have a solid relationship with your marketing directors and, and brand managers, they're the people that put in place all the route to market and, and make sure that your product's available in those countries that you go to. You know, and yeah. their job is just as difficult and just as stressful as yours. So if you do get a brand ambassador role, understand first and foremost, you're no longer a bartender. You're now a brand ambassador and a brand ambassador does not work in the bar industry or hospitality. They work in marketing. So it's, a, it's not a move up. It's a move across. And what you quickly realize is that, oh, I wish I was a bartender again. <laughs> like you, it, yeah. all, for all the sexiness of traveling around the world and stuff, like a lot of it is the two hour push through security at an airport and then two hours because you cannot miss a plane. So you've got to be there two or three hours ahead of time. Um, you cannot afford to miss a plane. So you'll sit for two hours by yourself. You know, it's not the same as when, you go on a brand trip to, a, to, a, to, a, to Scotland or whatever, and there's eight bartenders that you know all sitting around in the same space. Short of a couple of big events like, you know, Paris Bar Show or London Cocktail Week or Tales of the Cocktail or something where uh, a few people from your city will be traveling to the same place, you're not going to run into your friends at the airport. So yeah. you're, it, it's, it's, it can be a little bit sad and a little bit lonely. So remember, if you do want that brand ambassador role, Number one thing, go for the brand that you already love. I was already a massive Monkey Shoulder fan. I've got Monkey Shoulder stuff from before I worked for Monkey Shoulder. I've got an original bottle, the first ever bottle I ever bought. I kept as a collector's item because I thought it was gonna, Monkey Shoulder was going to die, if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> um, like, so when you look at it, right, it, in the old marketing, it was Kininvi, Balveni, and Glenfiddich. They were the they were the ones that they were talking about having made it with. Now, traditionally, they used those three in the first batches, but then as it grew, that you couldn't constantly have just those three in it, right? Mm -hmm. Because you'd be cannibalizing the, the sales of those products later on down the line. Right. But when you look at the price of Glenfiddich, Balvenie, and I was in Australia at the time, and, and Kanimbi was only sold as a limited run um, for about 100 pounds a bottle. Um, now, it, it's not the same now because as the brand grew, you needed to grow the, the products used in it needed to grow with it. But back in the day, I, it was advertised as um, Glenfiddich, Balvenie and Kanimbi. Now, Kanimbi was only sold in those days in, to, well, no, it was only given, I think it was, to staff within William Grants and Sons. And um, there was one bottle of Kanimbi that I was able to find that was the Hazelwood um, version of Kanimbi and it was like hundred pounds plus if you could get it on auction and then wow. the Glenfiddich the minimum age on Glenfiddich was 12 so the Glenfiddich was also really expensive and Balvenie if you know Balvenie Balvenie's not cheap right and I'm a no. massive Balvenie fan so I see Monkey Shoulder pop up um, in the UK when I was in Australia and the only way I could get it was to buy it um, from I think it was Berry Brothers and Rudd or something like that they, I bought it for the 30 pounds or 28 pounds or whatever it was and then paid shipping to Australia and import duty. So it was like, it ended up being like 150 quid to get this bottle. I bought, I bought two. 
and they both arrive in Australia and, and, and I put one away because I always did thinking like this brand can't last. Like the, the components that go into it cost more than it costs. Like how does that work? You know, is it just a flash in the pan? They, these, these blenders got a hold of like a couple of things. Then I got, I, it arrives and I see the William Grants and Sons signature on it. And I'm like, well, it's obviously a William Grants product. Now, these are the, in these days, I was a bit of a geek. So I used to actually subscribe to emails that were sent out within Diageo's internal, I, that I, they had this thing um, for investment. And when they were doing something new, they would like let you know about it. So, and I got, mm -hmm. I got little bits of information from like an investment portfolio point of view that they were doing to try to get any information extra that I could. And I used to go to the bottom of... Um, websites and read the copyrights at the bottom so if a new product was coming out often they before they launched it they'd have all the everything would update with co trademark and copyright like rangpur tanqueray rangpur i was like tanqueray rangpur what's tanqueray rangpur and then i started googling it and at the time it was only available in um in dc you know think i'd find information like that so um, I just thought Monkey Shorter was going to die and, and was going to be finished with. So, uh, so when I did get a bottle and I opened one, I, was, I loved it so much. I then went around the city of Brisbane to a few other bars that I had friends working in and I was pouring them shots. So I'm like, taste this, you know? So <laughs> cut to like seven or eight years later, I become the global brand ambassador for Monkey Shoulder. And the, those guys were like, remember that time you brought Monkey Shoulder into taste? And I'm like, I haven't been um, and I've forgotten all about those those little things. So, if you uh, okay. if you want to get a brand job, make sure it's a brand that you already love. You, you're not mm. you're not looking for a brand job. You're looking to work for the people and the product that you're already passionate about because you need to be passionate about it day in day out. You have to live it and and ex give yourself a, a life expectancy. You know you, yes. you're not only will you potentially burn out traveling around constantly being the face of something and, um, and, and having to constantly be on social media, you, it's difficult to walk away from spending all your days on social media, constantly posting, constantly trawling, constantly seeing what's going on and then switch off from it. It gets addictive. So I, I've now set my phone so that um, after 45 minutes of using social media, it, 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 tells me no more for the day does that work it do you know what <laughs> i went live <laughs> on facebook live for my from for my show yeah. and uh I, I was doing i was i was covering a protest live on facebook and it cut me off because <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd used too much social media for the day oh, wow. so so um, i've learned my lessons but that it, it helps but basically um, not only will you potentially burn out if you if you plan to do it for 10, 15 years, but mm -hmm. the brand, you, you're a caretaker if you're a brand ambassador for the brand. And you, mm -hmm. you impart a little bit of your personality onto the job that you're doing. So after seven years, right, if you think of things going in a seven-year cycle, which a lot of people believe in, it's time for someone, some fresh blood. Even if you want to stay, it's, it's probably better for the brand to constantly grow and evolve. And that means the brand ambassador program advocacy needs to grow and evolve and you get a next generation in, you know, like, especially on the brand I was on monkey shoulder, it, 
it's it's a youthful brand. It's about partying. It's about lifestyle. It's about having a good time. Like no one, no one wants a fifty-five-year-old guy being like, "Hey, kids!" <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So yeah, it, 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 you make sure that you get you you set yourself in the mindset that if you do want to work with brands, it's marketing. It's for a period of time in your life that works for you, and um, you you know don't see yourself as moving up to brand ambassadorship. It's a cross. It's a different thing because in yeah. reality. The, the bartenders are, are who you're servicing and who you're taking care of. You know, they're, they're the key at the end of the day. Mm. Mm. No, very true. I, you're right. The person has to match the brand for sure. Exactly. And, yeah. Uh, you know, how did you, how would you recommend people to, to reach out to brands and uh, if they did love one and wanted to work for them, you know, how was your route to, to that position? Um, I, I started, I worked events for them. So mm. um, the Diageo position was different. Um, I, I, I knew a lot about their products and some of their sales team were just kind of like, who are you? How do you know all this about our stuff? And I was like, well, I read loads of information. So they got me in to their local. So you've got to remember, it wasn't like central London office. It was an office out in the middle of nowhere. You know, if you've got third party distribution where you are, you don't, I don't know where all your listeners are around the world because in, a, in America, <laughs> in America, you, you can't own a brand and sell it in a shop, you know, whereas in other countries you can. Um, so, so there's different, you know, avenues in. You might be working for a third-party distributor to begin with, or you might go straight into directly for the brand. But either way, the way I worked, the first real brand ambassador job I got, um, I was already going into Diageo's offices and teaching their sales team about cocktails and about spirits. And when I say that, I'm not saying that they were lazy and they didn't know about Gordon's themselves. What I was doing was I was going in, this was 2005, 2006. I was going in and showing them what the, the new face of, of bartending that they were about to try to sell to. Um, because they came in when I was the beverage and training director of a, of a company. And I just like, I was chopping lines and a sales guy came in and was like, mate, I'd like to speak to your boss. I was like, okay, um, who is it you need to speak to? And he's like, your boss. I was like, oh God, which boss? There's lots of different bosses. You know, I've got different types of bosses. So I, I need to speak to Dean Callan. I was like, I'm Dean Callan. <laughs> but he thought because I was chopping lines that I right, must have been yeah. the lowest level of employee. And then, um, which I love chopping limes, by the way. I still love chopping limes. I mentioned it a few times on this show already. Um, and but, on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I'm um, sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, he then, I had a chat to him. And basically, I got to a point where I was like, there's a whole new type of bartender that are like, like culinary-led, super into their cocktails, super into their knowledge. And you can't walk in and just offer them a price and a retro on their product, they need to know that the information about the product and they're likely going to be a bit pretentious um, about mm -hmm. which gins they carry and they don't want any more vodkas, you know, like they'd come in and try to sell me in the same breath, the new Smirnoff black that, uh, pot still that had come out, Smirnoff blue, they wanted me to take the Smirnoff blue, which I don't know if you even know it, it's the 50% ABV Smirnoff from back in the day. Um, they were trying to bring in Smirnoff flavors and like, 
I mean, we, 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 we'd just gotten rid of all our vodkas and we're moving to a new um, concept of one, one vodka from each base. So I tried to get Ciroc, but I needed them to tell me what Ciroc was made from and they didn't know. Um, and they, I mean, not their fault, but I then went in and trained them on kind of, right, get into the cocktails. Like when you go into a place, this is how you sit down and order a drink and get, get a rapport with the guys first before you go hitting them with a contract. If, especially if you're dealing with owner operators in small craft cocktail places that have come from craft cocktail as opposed to being pure business. Um, and I, I mean, I, I wasn't 100% right in everything, but I was like a super bartender's bartender. And then when I went to China, the, the job role started there because, um, oh, well, you know, when they went to hire a brand ambassador for Ciroc, they got me. And then I ended up taking over more and more of the portfolio as the other bartenders that they brought in didn't really like the brand ambassador role as much as they thought they would, if that makes sense. Because it was early yeah. days. When I got the Bacardi job, I'd actually developed a training program where I didn't have to speak to anyone because I didn't speak Mandarin. Um, and it came from video. So what I did, I would say, right, I need you to make these five cocktails. So I'd, I'd build the drinks. I'd start with a built drink. I'd have a stirred drink. I'd put the ice in. I'd do these ones. I'd ice up this. I'd build a round and I'd show them how much of each thing. They'd have the recipes. Um, I had those translated into Mandarin and then English next to them so they could see them. And I'd build the round. And when I was building the round, I would... I would point to the label and do these ones and cut, you know, instead of that, right? Um, I just recorded myself and then kept that video. And then I'd move that video across on my laptop and record them doing the same thing. And then I'd show them the video of them and the video of me and I'd pause at a certain point and I'd just be able to show them like, you know, you need to put your hand more that way. It needs to be straight as opposed to like, but when you're doing something, you think you're doing exactly what you've been shown, but actually you're a little bit off. When they can see themselves, they were able to see themselves and see exactly where they needed to go. And they were also able to see that I was making these five drinks in like two and a half minutes and they were taking 10. Um, and at the beginning, they were taking 10 minutes, but a couple of months in and or at the end of the first month, they were taking four or five and they could see their beginning of the month video next to their end of the month video and they could see their improvement and they got really excited about it. Um, and the traditional method of training that, you know, from the European bartenders was, no, that's not right. I need you to do this, you know, and even if they could speak Mandarin, they were, they were being disrespectful and, and the Chinese bartenders don't like people who losing face, if that makes sense. Whereas for yeah. miraculously without even knowing it, they weren't losing face because no one else was seeing their take on it, if that makes sense. And the next person would be practicing. And then I got to a stage of they all had drink orders and they'd all sit at the bar and I'd put water in all the bottles and they'd order the drinks. And then one of them would bartend for the others for an hour and a half, two hours, every couple of days. And they got practice. And they got much better. Um, and the Bacardi guys seen that and then went, right, we want that. Bring your training program and do it for us. Um, and I said, I want 
thousands of pounds <laughs> and they said yes <laughs> <laughs> well, said yes okay um so they said yes so i got paid reasonably well and then i got brought uh, a friend in and built a train a, a brand ambassador program together um where i traveled in unison with a my chinese ca- counterpart um and and he started doing the trainings himself and then he took over and and he was the brand ambassador uh, and he's still a brand ambassador today He's wow, done really okay. well for himself, but he's a brand ambassador for Louis Trey now. Nice, um, not a bad brand. To be yeah, honest. yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to going back and hanging out with him in China sometime soon cool, um, cool. and drinking some Louis Trey. Um, so I kept coming into it, like I kept skirting around the brand ambassador world and then being brought into it because I was a natural suit for it, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Um, well, going back to... Uh, Back to you and then what's going on right now in London. And, uh, you know, you said you've got this, this plan to open your own bar. Can you tell us a few more details, like uh, maybe about your, your, the steps you plan to do to get to that and maybe well, what the bar might be? I, I, had, I had a grand plan to open a bar that was basically, um, and, and this, this is only going out in audio, so it's hard to, dis, it's hard to, to get people to, to envision the plan. But if you, can, if you can imagine, you're standing behind the bar, right? So picture yourself standing in front of an ice, ice well, um, as you would do if you're bartending, and you've got the, the bar top in front of you. In, sitting across from you f- or at the bar, um, there's people sitting in, sitting in high stools, right? Like, you, like any other bar. But behind you, you have um, a, the back bar, and where your hand reaches to the very top is the the end of the back bar it doesn't get any higher than that so um your reach dictates how high the back bar is but beyond that top shelf it's the bottom of a stage and you're actually in the position that like the orchestra would be at an opera um at a at a at a live music looking venue right so you could have a 12-piece jazz band on that stage um you could have a comedian okay that's cool you could have a brand ambassador doing a training session for gray goose um talking about what is gray goose with the like maitre d'ache of gray goose and you are making gray goose martinis for the crowd in front of you now sitting at the bar you've got those high tables and then when you go out for a couple of meters onto the floor, you've got basically round or round high tables with a few seats at them. And then one big long booth that goes at the same. So the people sitting in the booth are elevated to being slightly higher than the people sat at the tables. And that big Chesterfield booth is one long booth that starts to your right a couple of meters off and curves around giving everyone sat at that booth um, a perfect view of both the stage and what you're doing because they're elevated. Then behind them, um, where their heads stop, there's another um, bar top, it's a dry bar, and that runs the whole length of that booth and sat at that dry bar are people sat at short tables, right? So they're Mm -hmm. sat at that dry bar and it looks like to them, they're actually sat quite low because behind them there's another row of booth. So it's, a, it's like a theater. It goes up like an amphitheater. And um, okay. everyone can see the stage. They can also see what you're doing. And between acts, you would be able to turn the lights off 
and then like press a button and then a spotlight would come on and you'd be able to do demonstrations and like really cool drinks that are part theater. And the, the drinks are super theatrical with lights and music to match and everything like that. But you might be making one drink um, super theatrical in, the, in that front bar. But actually there's a bar under the stage that's a direct replica of this bar making a hundred of them and they go out to everyone in the crowd. So wow, okay. it's, it's like, it's cocktail theater, but it's done in a, in a cabaret style. So everyone gets a, the drink at the same time and the drink is presented, it's explained and then everyone gets that drink and then another act comes on with another bit of comedy or, and you buy a ticket to the show and you've got an hour and a half of the Dean Callan show and at that might end and in the dream world there'd be an hour of the Dale DeGroff show and Dale's flown over and he's doing his drinks and he might just be sitting on the stage you know and then there's Eric Lorenz comes in and does an hour and a half set and you buy tickets to these different bartenders shows and they mm -hmm. they they present each drink and they chat in between and everyone it basically I like to sit at the bar and chat to the bartenders or listen to, to, to stories that they tell. And I wanted to create a situation where everyone could sit at the bar. If that makes Brilliant. sense. Yeah. Sounds so that's the dream man. bar. Really, really that, good. That's the dream bar. Okay. And that's basically what the cabin is. The cabin's a super small scale version of that. Cause if you look at this, right. this angle, see the Chesterfield, I do, the, yeah. the idea that is that that would continue on. And then there'd be another level of that up here. So we could drop a drink up to a row of people that are up, actually sat up there. It'd be really cool, um, but it, it would cost so much money to build. <laughs> and <laughs> well, it would have Dean, to be in like central London or something like that to be able to get the football to fill, you know, 120 sure. odd seats. Yeah, well, so, hopefully it'll come to life one day. But um, we're going to wrap up very soon. And yeah. uh, before we finish off, I just want to ask, what are you drinking these days? So Any cocktails I, you want to go? I made a cocktail last night that absolutely blew my mind. Do I do want to, shall I make it now and I'll explain it? If you want to, yeah. Yeah, I'll be as quick as I can, right? Quick as a flash. So this drink, um, to make it, you need um, orange Colombo, which is a wine base that has orange curacao and different flavors in it that's made by um, uh, Domaine Distilleries de, of, of Provence. You know, it's a French thing. Um, mm -hmm. It's also got um, Fortaleza, right? So you've got a wine aperitif that's kind of orange flavored, Fortaleza, and then a squeeze of bergamot, right? Which, you know, obviously in the typical like lockdown fashion, these are just things I have in my fridge in my home, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, what you do is you take a single measure um, of... Fortaleza. So it's kind of like a reverse margarita. And I'm making one because it was so good last night that I have to try it again. So single measure of Fortaleza, just the Blanco, two parts of orange Colombo. And then I would cut a large, so um, uh, bergamot tend, tend to be reasonably large. So maybe a uh, um, cut the bergamot into eight um, wedges and then squeeze that bergamot wedge into the drink. So you're getting about 15 mils of juice 
and take just the tiniest little coin sized twist off the outside of that particular squeeze. And that way, you know, you're getting eight drinks out of one bergamot, which is kind of important because they are a bit expensive bergamot. Um, and they're seasonal, so you're not going to be able to make this drink all year round unless you live somewhere like London or Singapore where everything's imported anyway. Right. And then give it plenty of cold ice and a good hard shake. Brilliant. I don't have a name for it. Okay. <laughs> not yet, huh? I can't wait to taste this. Honestly, I want to taste send, it. <laughs> if I could send you the flavor through the yeah, ring, one day maybe. <laughs> honestly, and it's got this beautiful because it's a rose wine. It's a nice color. The base. Yeah. It's got this beautiful, like kind of slight pink hue to it. Listen, oh, it's singing to me right now. <laughs> I'm gonna put a twist on the top. Now the key is to put just a small twist of the bergamot on because bergamot is so floral and so intense in its uh, aroma. Mm. Taste test. <laughs> oh, it's just so good. It's just so good. <laughs> well, Dean, we'll end on that high and thank you so much for coming on the show and showing us that recipe. Yeah. Uh, for the audience, uh, that recipe will be in the show notes and also through my Instagram posting. Dean, thanks a lot, man. And uh, good yeah. luck for the show. Good luck for yeah, everything else. You. And we can't wait to see what else comes up. Awesome. Well, let me know if you ever want me back on. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Will do. Thanks, man. Ciao. Bye.